All right. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's my privilege and pleasure to worship with you. Um, I've kind of like um, been in the life of uh, various individuals through the church, so it's really good to see uh, the praise there. Thank you to the praise team. Um, like I knew Daniel from a while ago. Do you guys still call him reggae? <laughs> so it's really good to see familiar faces and be with you all. Let's turn our Bibles over to the book of Joshua, chapter 23. I'm going to be giving you guys essentially a, I guess you could even say a plagiarized sermon. And the reason why is because Joshua, the great leader of the nation, at the end of essentially his life, he's going to give a charge to the nation as a whole, gathering both elders, leaders of the church or the, uh, the community, and then also all the, all the people. And he's going to give an exhortation to be strong, to enter into the land with such faithfulness. And essentially, that's the charge I want to give you this morning. So please turn your Bible over to Joshua 23. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1 to 3. It says, Now it came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side. And Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads of their judges and their officers, and said to them, I am old, advanced in years, and you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all the nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace and blessing upon um, the hearing of your word. Would you grant to us clarity? Would you grant to us receptive ears? And Lord, by your spirit, would you do a work that brings about a level of conviction? And so this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I do need to set the stage a little bit uh, with the book of Joshua. I really feel like Joshua, in many ways, is a book that's kind of like a man's book. And the reason why is because it's, it's like an action-adventure movie. The first 12 chapters of the book essentially entails battle after battle, conquest after conquest. A majority of these battles are, you know, the small band of misfits come together, and they're fighting the cohort of five different kingdoms, etc. So it's totally an underdog story. It's an against all odds, how are they going to do this? But by the miraculous hand of God, they're victorious. It's such an awesome book to read, right? And it moves very quickly. Now, there's a big chunk in the middle where the story slows down, and Joshua is essentially talking to the entire nation, saying, this is the promise of God fulfilled for you. You are receiving land. God promised Abraham that he would bless you tremendously. He'll bless you as a people. He'll bless you with peace, victory, but more so, he'll bless you as a nation so that you can exist in a promised land. And you guys are probably well aware of that, that the promised land motif in the scriptures is really important. Well, this is the book by which, yes, it can be a little boring if you read it because it sounds like this boundary to that boundary, this boundary to that boundary, and it sounds like an instructional manual. But essentially, it's huge because what he's saying is you finally get to enter. Now, after all this drama, walking around the wilderness, now after so many years, 40 years of walking around in the desert when it should have taken us two weeks, you finally get to enter into your own land. 
and each tribe gets to have their own own peace, right? And then, near the end of this book now, the scene that we're stepping into in chapter 23 to 24 is a chapter in which Joshua, this great leader, is saying, everyone listen up. We had conquest. We've divvied up the land. You guys are about to take it. It's all yours, but I need you to listen and be on the same page with me. And what does he say? He exhorts all of them. More than ever now, you need to be strong. More than ever now, you need to cling to the Lord. More than ever now, you need to express and demonstrate your dependency on God Almighty. And that's where we're at. I want to set the picture a little bit more by talking to you about Joshua, this great leader. There are few characters in the Bible where there aren't much said about his weaknesses. Literally since the time Joshua was young, you guys recall, there were many, uh, a band of reconnaissance crew who went to go scope out the land before they went in, right? Joshua and Caleb were the two individuals who came and said, the land is as good as God told us, let's go. And then the nation was in fear Rather than trusting God, what did they do? They said, oh my goodness, we're going to get destroyed. We can't do this. So from early on, Joshua already had a type of leadership where he said, what are you guys talking about? God said, go. God said, it's good. God said, he'll deliver. We should go. But lo and behold, because of the nation's disobedience and distrust, they experienced a lot of suffering. Now, I want you to keep in mind that that generation, the young generation of individuals who walked the desert, most of them actually died. By the time we're hearing Joshua's voice here in chapter 23, 24, his friends passed away. It's been 40 years of wandering the desert. Joshua, it says in this passage, that he's old. Here is this man then, because I want you guys to picture it. Not necessarily coming from me, right? Because I'm just a young man. I got gray hair, but I'm young, okay? But Joshua is a weathered warrior. Joshua has been through it all. He was at the right hand of Moses. He's been in in battle and victory. Those 12 chapters of the conquest, because it moves so fast from one battle to another battle, it sounds like they just plowed through the land. Not true. It was seven years of battling. Seven years of going up against all the pagan nations. So... When you imagine this individual giving you this charge, you need to imagine somebody who's like a war-torn, experienced general who is now rugged in the face, giving you this exhortation at the end of his life. The scripture also mentions that he's sold. It keeps repeating it (laughs) over and over. Twice it says Joshua was old and advanced in years. In another passage in Joshua 13.1, It talks about how God himself looked at Joshua and said, Joshua, you're old. Imagine God directly telling you, boy, you are one old man. But what Joshua is doing is a little bit surprising because if you think about it, they had the conquest. Why is Joshua giving this kind of exhortation, everyone, I need your attention, Stop messing around. I want everybody in the room right now. Imagine a president saying, situation room, I want all the military generals. I want even the priests and the scribes. If you're 
anybody in anything leading anybody, come into the room. I need to talk to you. And then he gives his exhortation. I want you to be strong. This is what he says. Joshua 23, verse 6 through 11. Joshua 23, verse 6 through 11. We're going to be working through the, the whole chapter, so make sure you keep your finger there. Starting from verse 6, he says, be firm to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you or mention the name of their gods or make anyone swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you, you are to cling to the Lord your God as you have done this to this day For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. As for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. The first distinguishable point from Joshua's exhortation is this statement I want you guys to think about. I am the strongest when I cling to God, okay? I am the strongest when I cling to God. I want you to take a moment to think about that. The nation of Israel, one would think you are the strongest when your army is in formation and about to destroy people. Eh. You are the strongest when you have a lot of resources, manpower. Eh. You are the strongest when you've had victory and your foot is over the other kings. Wrong. Right now is a time actually of peace when they can sit and divvy up the land. Are they strong? Or in Joshua's eyes, are they in need of even more strength? What I'm trying to tell you guys is this passage is chock full of be firm. Earlier, as you guys know, Joshua repeatedly from the very beginning while they were fighting till now is saying, be strong, be strong, be strong. And then he charges them, I need you to cling to God. But Joshua, we're kind of at peace. We just destroyed everybody. But no, in Joshua's eyes, he is saying, take diligent heed to yourself because it is our natural bent. It is often just our common fallen nature, to feel like we're strongest when we have no problems. You know what I'm saying? When I don't have enemies, I've got no financial worries, I've got manpower for even churches. It is a wrong conception to think we're strong because we have numbers. Mm, I don't think so. We're strong because we have totally, everybody is staffed, We've got the education staff chock full. We've got college pastor, young adult pastor, family pastor. We're well staffed. Is that when you are strongest? No, no. I am the strongest when I'm clinging to my God. That's why the scripture says you can boast in your weakness because you can boast when Christ is your strength. Amen? So what Joshua is looking at are in this current state, The nation is looking forward to walking into essentially peace and prosperity and having it, having their blessing. And he says, no, this is actually when you need to be strong and make a predetermined decision to do what? What is the definition of strength that Joshua is trying to teach the people? Your strength comes from your decision 
to obey God's word no matter what. The other nations are going to tell you, you know what? Let's try this. Let's try giving sacrifices here. Let's try this superstitious thing here. It may sound like all kinds of weird hocus pocus. I would probably never do that if I were one of the people in those days. I would never do that. I would never bow down to an Asherah pole. I would never bow down to Baal. I mean, it just sounds bad, Baal. I would never do that. And yet, and yet, do I not practice a weird superstition hoping that God would pour down blessings on me? Don't I sometimes put false hope in people? Don't I sometimes get tempted by what everybody else tries to do? What are, what are they doing to be strong? What are those guys to be doing to be prosperous? You guys know that we're all actually susceptible to it. At the same time, we know strength does not come by any of these things. Strength does not come because you have the most education. Strength does not come because your intellect is so sharp. Strength does not come just sheer, like, you know, it's not just sheer numbers, human flesh-based. Strength comes from me clinging to God and saying, you know what, God? I can suffer, but when I choose to do your will, your word, and I choose to obey, that's power. When an individual, like all the various saints, examples of the Old Testament, who said, you know what? That guy can be threatening me. I can literally be in a furnace. But when I'm able to say, you know what? Kill me if you want to. I'm going to obey my God. That's strength that this world does not know. That's the strength of faith. Amen? And that's what Joshua is, is pursuing that's what he's saying. I want all of your attention. I need to make sure that you have a predetermined decision. And that's why the sermon is titled, Be Decided. Be decided already. This spiritual leader is about to go. This spiritual leader that has led this generation for now, essentially what is generations, is about to pass. Is there promises that there is another Joshua right after him? There are no promises. Is there another guarantee that there's always going to be such a strong individual? There are no strong, there are no guarantees like that. But the community of faith can have so much power when they've determined in their mind already, we're going to cling to God no matter the circumstance. Point number two. Going to point number two, I want to read to you this portion where Joshua says in um, Joshua 23 verse 14. Joshua 23, verse 14. Take a look there. And what he says is, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which your Lord God has spoken concerning you has ever failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. And what he's saying from the beginning of chapter 23 is essentially... Yes, you need to be strong. Yes, you need to be firm. Yes, you need to be decided. And you're the one who has to cling. But actually, his main thrust of his sermon to you is you know from experience and you know in your heart and your soul, God is so good. God is so sovereign. Your experience, just from your human eyes, what you see, a little different, right? But you know in your soul that God is so good. 
Did it take a lot longer than you expected? Yes. Did it come about in a way that you did not predict? Yes. But you know in your soul, you know in your heart, and you know in all history that there is not a single promise of God that has ever failed. That's what he's saying. He says, I want you to take an account and be witnesses to the fact that God has been so good to you. And that's what he was saying in verse 3. I'll just read it again. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done in all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. And these people, they know because their history so far has been chock full of God's faithfulness. Just a quick rundown so that we feel what they feel, right? I don't know if Joshua's sermon was longer, but maybe he did. Do you guys remember Jericho? This is a children's story, but we should hear it. That God looked at this fortified city with walls so high they could not climb. Jericho was a well-known, established kingdom. And you have these individuals who essentially came walking with a box. Dark. I'd imagine one of these planners, right, within the group saying, you know what we need to do? We need to make sure they're archers. We need to make sure they're foot soldiers. We need to make ladders for crying out loud. We... You always have a planner in the group, right? I could just always imagine some guy coming out saying, oh, my gosh, this is going to be crazy, and we got to do it in sequence, and when one guy's over, he's got to go draw. And then God says, no, I want the priests. Like, the priests, the pastors are always overweight. They're like the weakest. What are you talking about? He's like, no, I want them to walk. I want them to walk. And then I want the musicians. I want them to blow the horn. And then you're going to do it again seven times, right? These people experienced this very word when God said, I will deliver this nation to you. He did it, and he did it in such dramatic fashion. I actually think that the history, the history and the narratives are hilarious. You read little lines where it says, not only did it collapse, but people were running for their lives. There's another story. There's another story where... Uh, in, in Joshua chapter 10, you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to tell you the story that there were actually five kingdoms. Once they started hearing, did you guys hear about this kingdom or this nation? They're coming and just plowing down. They're coming and running circles around us. So five kings gathered together to fight this one like vagabond group basically. And these five kings were, were trying to fight the nation. And what was kind of hilarious about it is God said that he would destroy them. And the way that he destroyed them was he was sending what in modern terms would be like heat-seeking missiles. I'm just going to, you don't have to turn there. But what it says is in Joshua 10.10, the Lord confounded them before Israel. So they were all confused and running amok. He slew them with the great slaughter in Gibeon. He pursued them by the way of Beth Haran, struck them as far as Azekah and Madakah, and has fled before Israel. And while they were running, the Lord threw large stones from heaven. And it says they died. There were more who died by the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed by the sword. That was another miracle of God that they could attest to. Essentially, they were fighting. And as they were fighting, their enemies were confused. What's going on? And then as they were running, God essentially hurled hailstones at them so that not a single Israelite fell. This wasn't just like rolling stones and then these silly guys, these idiots were like, oh my gosh, it's coming. And then boom, they got squashed. 
Not a single one of the Israelites got hurt. Why am I telling you guys this? God said, there was not a single moment, single word that I said that ever failed. And each word came exactly as he said. Last kind of example, just for fun. Okay? God actually said to another, uh, another invasion, so to speak, and another battle that they had, this time, uh, later in Joshua chapter 11, okay, there were 13 kings against this one group. 13 kings. It just kind of mounts and mounts, and the odds keep getting worse and worse. And what God said is when the people were afraid, God reassured them and said, you are going to destroy them so utterly, you are going to hamstring them. Have you guys heard that before? Have you guys never heard that? Like, I'm going to hamstring these people. Well, it's kind of an outdated term. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't know either. But for this sermon, when I was reviewing, I learned that back in the day, what they would do is this. If I was a king and I destroyed you so bad, just to show you how badly I destroyed you, I would take every one of your chariots, every one of your horses, and I would cut the tendons of the back of the horse so that you could never recover. So that that horse is limping around and it's showing just how ridiculously destroyed you were. You know what's crazy? It says in that battle, the nation hamstrung the horses, burnt the chariots, and all that, the, that, that God said down to the very T, it happened. Why am I saying this? Because the application question for you is, do you have such a trust in God where it's not just, yeah, I know, like, eventually and generally I trust God, but I don't really trust him with my finances. I find that when I counsel people, they talk like that. Yeah, 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 I trust God. But my question to you is, do you trust God in such a way it's down to the very nitty-gritties? It's down to the everyday. It's down to every relationship. It's down to every single hardship you experience. Do you trust God in such a way that it's not just a generic, yes, I trust God for eternity. Yes, I trust God for the whole of my life and the big things, in the broad spiritual things. No, no, no. You need to trust God for every single word that he says. And that's a decision you have to make preemptively. Whatever I step into, are you a single person here in a dating relationship? Guess what? You need to trust God with that relationship. There are so many at my church, we have a huge, like, a singles ministry, and there's a lot of drama, <laughs> And I tell them, do you understand when you are all anxious and you're coming to my office like, oh, my gosh, I don't know if she's going to break up with me. You need to trust God that you're going to be okay. You need to trust God also that, no, you don't have to give of yourself this way. You don't have to be at his beckoning call. You don't have to give up your body. You don't have to give up any of this. Why? Because when you do things God's way, God's way, he will bless it. You're not going to see it now. You're going to see it when he brings fruition. Marriage relationships. This is so important, you guys. I want to give you this example, okay? I do a ton of counseling. Right now, I'm in school for counseling, and I want to establish a counseling ministry. I just... Let's just do role play and you guys follow along with me, okay? Imagine there is this guy named Billy. Is there anybody named Billy here? Good, because Billy is an idiot. <laughs> I call him Silly Billy, okay? 
Imagine he has this wife named Betty. Now, Billy is just one of those thick-headed, I call them the knuckleheads. He just doesn't get it. He, when I ask Billy, like, how's your marriage relationship? He always says, it's so good. I look over at Betty, and she's crying, <laughs> you know? And I'm sitting over here like, what's going on? So I asked Betty, Betty, what's going on? Betty's like, you don't understand, Pastor Mark. Billy forgot my birthday. And I'm like, ooh, Billy. And then Betty's like, he forgot my birthday three times. He forgot our wedding anniversary. And he plays it off like it's no big deal. And he forgot just last week that we were going to go see my parents. And he forgot and scheduled a basketball run with his buddies. And I'm sitting there like, Billy, what are you doing? You fool. Question. What do I counsel Billy to do? Right? What do I say to him? Well, number one, I say to him, you fool, what are you doing? Right? Shape up, dude. You, got, you can't do that. She's relying on you to feel like she's special, that she's being led, and you're actually scheduling those times to be with her family. What are you doing? What's more, I'm going to tell him, dude, don't just say sorry. Ask her. Ask her to forgive you. Right? Ask her to, to give you grace on that. And so Billy comes over, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Betty, I'm so sorry. I was so stupid. Will you please forgive me? Okay? Please, please forgive me. And then Betty, to my surprise, goes, no. Why? Because this scenario happens a lot. Betty's over here saying, Billy, I know I'm supposed to love you, which I do, but you hurt me too much. You've hurt me repeatedly. I don't trust you. Now the room is ice cold. I'm certain they're like, oh, shoot. What is my counsel to Betty? Right? What is my counsel to Billy? Is my counsel to Billy like, Billy, you idiot. <laughs> tell her, tell her you'll never do it again. Tell her you're going to be better. Tell her that you're going to be the man. Tell her that you're not going to forget. Tell her that you're going to love her family just like your own. Do it, man, do it. Is that what I'm going to say as a counselor? Is that real? The reality is I'm going to say, you know what? This counseling session is getting real thick. But let me tell you guys right now, Billy's going to probably mess up again. Because a, a knuckleheaded man takes time to grow. Betty, you have to trust God. God told you that it's more blessed to give grace than to protect yourself. God told you that this relationship is so important, you have to be like Christ and forgive him. And she says, how? You have to trust God. If your well-being is in the hand of Billy, you're already messed up. But if your well-being is in the hand of God and you trust the Lord and you know in your heart, you can't see it, you can't feel it right now, but you trust him and you say, okay, I have decided to trust God because never has one of his promises failed. Amen? Never has God let me down. And I trust him so much, I'm going to do it. I may be gritting my teeth. Billy, <laughs> I forgive you. <laughs> do it. That's an act of faith. That's a decision you make to move forward with trust in God. How many people will hurt you? Many. How many people will let you down? Many. 
How many people will make you feel weak? Many. But God is so sovereign, he will never. And Joshua is saying, so I want you to know going into this land, I want you to know going into this next season of your life, it is now that for that very reason, that much more imperative. I have to know you're already decided to trust God. Don't you dare trust in yourself walking into the side. Dude, guys, look how successful we were, right? Don't you dare touch that glory and all of a sudden give yourself credit. Don't you dare rely on yourself. Sometimes people do that. You know what? I'm going to be okay without Billy. You know what? I'm just going to live my life. I'm not going to care about him. That's called weakness. Why? Because you're going to rely on yourself to be okay. I'm pretty sure you've tried that at one point. I have. It lasts so, so short. Right? And then you eventually know, like, I cannot trust in myself. I have to cling to God. I have to cling to the Lord. And that's going to be our strength. And so that's Joshua's exhortation. If at all you're going to move forward, you have to know that God is good in your life. Point three, there is all of a sudden in Joshua's sermon a turn of tone. And he gives this crazy warning. He gives this crazy kind of exhortation that feels rebuking and harsh all at the same time. So go now to chapter 23, verse 12 through 16. 12 through 16 is going to be like a long chunk, but let's read it. And it says, for if you ever go back, and give this basically fair warning, if you don't cling, right? So he says, and then you cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one of all the good words which the Lord your God has spoken concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. But if you don't see that, okay, he says, then it shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you. That's crazy. And you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Warning, warning. There is a vivid imagery. The idea of God being angry is so scary. I want you to picture a massive, gigantic bull. A bull with long horns. A bull with this snout that's coming down long and his shoulders are huge and he's now bucking to rush you. The term in the Hebrew for anger is actually heat or steam coming from the nostrils. He's sitting there like, it's so scary. Whoa, what just happened? We went from this encouraging like, and you know that God is good. Praise the Lord. Amen. To, and he's going to pull you over. <laughs> is, it, 
Is it Joshua just being like an angry old man? I don't think I mentioned, but, but a lot of commentators and people who are just counting the years, they say that they believe Joshua to be 110. Whoa, right? Is he just being that old grandpa who says whatever comes to mind? Is he one of those guys whose personality is just everything is tough love? So even though he should have been encouraging, he's just like, get it together. No, I don't want you guys to read this as just simply hard words. But the way I want you guys to read it is by warning of a loving shepherd. That's point three. Warning from a loving shepherd. The warning from the loving shepherd is the one who's going to tell you reality. Is Joshua saying anything that's not true? If God is so faithful, will he not also be faithful to all of his threats? If God is so perfect in keeping his word, is God going to be that God who says, I told you, man, that if you mess up and if you just go and trust these pagan nations and not me, and then you go serve these other gods, I told you I was going to leave you, right? But then is he one to be like, just kidding, right? Is he a judge who plays favorites and is like, God, you're so cute, I can't do it. He would cease to be good, right? Like right now, unfortunately, we have judges where there's somebody who's a criminal, there's somebody who's broke the law, there's somebody who transgressed, and then they go to the courts and they're like, nah, he's a my son. Ah, he's, a, he's too good. Nah, he's too poor. Ah, he's too... Is that a good judge? No. So what Joshua is doing is he's actually shepherding the flock. Good leaders must give truth. If they care about you, they'll tell you the truth. If they don't care about you but care about themselves... They'll tell you what you want to hear. We're good. We're fine. Don't worry. God will be on your side no matter what. Not true. Right? But why am I saying this? Because we have to know in the exhortation to be predecided and predetermined to cling to God, that you know in your mind that all of your decisions are consequential. What am I saying? Some of you guys, you probably have lots of decisions in front of you. Where to live? You know, for a lot of young people, it's always like, oh, do I stay in this job? Do I pick another one? You have decisions about, do I date this person? Do I not? If you're already in marriage and you're kind of thinking about, like, your finances, like, how do we move our money? Where do we direct our family? You have a lot of decisions about, oh, my goodness, do I put my kid into this school or that school? Now, I don't want to just burden you. But actually, a good leader, which is Joshua, is going to tell you all of those decisions do matter. Make them spiritual decisions. Your decisions will either divert your attention from God or it will set you up for greater faithfulness. I remember this guy came to me. He was in the medical field. And he said, Pastor Mark, do you think I should take this job? And I said, well, tell me about it. And he goes, straight off the bat, he's like, I'm going to be working like 70, 80 hours a week. What? You're going to be so tired. That ain't ministry. What are you doing? And he was like, but the pay is so good. And this is one of those coveted departments. I've been working this floor so long. I don't want it anymore. I want to go over here. And I'm like, wait a minute. If you're working 68 hours, are you going to do Bible study? He's like, no. Are you going to miss Sundays? Yes. It's no brainer to me. 
This is a spiritual decision. You mean you're going to be MIA? You're going to not be in the community? I bet you I can tell your future. You're going to start complaining, I feel so disconnected with the community. Guess why? <laughs> you know, like, what are we doing? This is not a financial decision. This is a spiritual decision. Now, at the same time, in my counsel, I don't typically tell them specifically what to do. I ask them, exercise your wisdom. Be sensible. These decisions have spiritual consequences upon you, and it is wise for you to see it as such. Amen? Lastly, point number four. God is separating your soul to be predetermined. Point four reads a little funny. God is shepherding your soul to be predetermined. It's so important for us not to think like, you know, in this next stage of life, trusting God means we'll see. That is not trusting God. Is there an element to which there's so much we don't know about what's to come? Yes. Is there an element to which there's so much that God has not given us information? Yes. But I can tell you a lot of things. What do I mean by that? I will always choose to be closer to God. I will always choose what is more biblical. I will always choose the decision that feels most faithful. I'm predetermined. Why am I saying this? Because God not only simply tells you to be decided, he shows you. He shows you the decision. He moves you. What am I talking about? Turn your Bibles over to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Now, this is a long section starting from verse 1 down to 13. I'm going to just set the stage for you because it's a dramatic, dramatic presentation. It's essentially role play. And this is what he says. Joshua 24 verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to a place called Shechem. If you want to highlight that, highlight that. There's not a lot of, geogra- I mean, there's a lot of geographical situations where it's like really important to remember. But this is one of them, Shechem, okay? And called the elders of Israel and their heads and their judges and their officers, and they presented themselves before God. What's happening here? Did you know that this valley in Shechem is very significant? Why? Because it stands between two mountains. And on one mountain, essentially, has been historically the place of blessing. Genesis chapter 12, when God is talking to Abraham and says, I will bless you to make you a great name, to make you a father of a great nation, to make your people multiply, to give you a land. Guess where it happened? Right here. And then later on, when Moses was telling the people, I need you guys to decide for yourselves, make sure that you guys are deciding for blessings. And at that time, this is what Moses did. He got the nation, he split them into two Two, two groups, one included the priests, and the other included everybody else. One mountain he named Mount Gerizim, and the other one he, he, he named Mount Ebal. Okay, remember how that all sounds bad? Ebal, okay? That was the place of curses. Here he said, if you are faithful, blessing upon blessing. Here he said, if you ever bow down to any other idol, curses and curses. If ever you want to just get scared... Read chapter 27, 28, Deuteronomy. He talks about you're going to be so utterly depraved, you're going to eat yourselves. You're going to be so utterly depraved, your husbands and wives, their children are going to be taken. It's so scary. It's that same valley, you guys. And this is where Joshua sets up the scenario 
And he essentially places people on one mountain, and then he places people on the other mountain and says to you, you cannot stand on two mountains. You need to choose. Some of us are a little bit like that. Someone asks you, where do you want to go eat? And you're like, oh, I want something crunchy, so I want a crunchy taco, but I'm also a little bit in the mood for soup. And you're just kind of waiting to see, like, what do other people want, right? And then so, maybe amongst your friends, you guys all have that very classic, stereotypical question. Where do we go? Where do you go? The reason why I'm using that silly example is because sometimes we want both. We want it all. Yes? Sometimes we hesitate, we delay, we kind of watch what other people are doing is because if there is possibly a third option to get both, that would be nice. Where all the goods of one side, the, the, the kind of reputation of being a great nation, the great king, the great soldiers, the great everything, the great strength of man, I want that too. But I want also God's blessing too. But you can't have both. Can't I have a girlfriend who's both beautiful externally and godly? Why not? I thought you guys would laugh at that one, honestly speaking. Some guys think that way. Now, I got it. That's good. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm just using these silly examples to highlight the fact. I'm talking to you guys. You guys are here at this church already committed I don't think you're going to sit there and be like, yeah, I want the world. I want to go party it up and go to the club. No. Most of the times, you guys are struggling with decisions where you're already majority committed to God, and you're kind of looking at the world like, man, if I, if I didn't go this path, I could have probably been, you know, a lot wealthier, right? My, my career kind of probably could have been a lot more advanced. Uh, maybe I'd already, like for some of you guys who are a little bit, you know, single but still a little bit more advanced in age, you're like, you know what, if I just pick that so-so spiritual person, I'd already have kids. Don't think that way. Straight up, don't think that way. You made predetermined decisions to pass off on opportunities because you want to be more faithful to God. More power to you. More power to you. I want to read to you this next portion because I want to encourage your heart. No matter where you guys are in your current life stage, I want you to understand that God is your good shepherd leading you through all of those experiences you're going through. Let me read for you the rest of this paragraph. Joshua 24, verse 2. It says, Joshua said to the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. These people, Abraham, right, father of the nation of Israel, he was just actually a pagan from the Ur of Chaldeans, okay? The God who is calling him to be strong and to obey and to not sway left or right, he is a good God and shepherd leading him every step of the way. Then I took your father Abraham from the, beyond the river and I led him through the land of Canaan. And then I multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau. And to Esau, I gave um, Mount Sarah to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. 
when I sent Moses and Aaron and I plagued Egypt by what I did in the midst and after I brought you out, I brought your fathers out of Egypt and you came to the sea and Egypt pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. But when they cried out to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and brought the sea upon them and covered them and your own eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness for a long time. Then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. And they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand. You took possession of their land. Then I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Bezor, Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and summoned Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I was not willing to listen to Balaam. So he had to bless you. And I delivered you from his hand. You crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho fought against you and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Gerizzite and the Hivites and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you. And it drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you. But not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored. And cities which you had not built. And you have lived in them. You are eating of the vineyards and the olive groves which you did not plant. The good father has recounted how he has taken their hand and shepherded them every single step of the way. Therefore, when we read the next passage, the emphatic make your decision today, make sure we're reading it from his voice. Let's take a moment to read it now. Joshua 24, verse 14 through 15, this famous passage. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your father served before the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? The reason why I set that up is because I didn't want you guys to hear that famous exhortation saying, choose for yourselves whom you, do, whom you will serve, and feel like he's just drawing a line in the sand and saying, are you with us or against us, man? Hurry up. Get on our side. Now, to be truthful, there is separation. And he makes it, again, so dramatic. He says, listen, there is a river in between us. You're either on that side or this side. But I want you to make sure that this call for your decision to do things to the Lord, unto his glory, and by his way, is heard from a fatherly shepherding voice. I have led you, and I want to lead you every single step of the way. So what's the decision you have to make? If right now any of you guys are struggling with the decision, you know in your heart that whatever this is on your left hand, the X, it's kind of compromising. It's drawing you away from God. Do you feel less intimate? Do you feel like it's making you less sober? Do it feel, does it feel like it's making you fantasize about the world, your previous life? Fantasize about things that are fleshly, some strange glorified picture of yourself, which you have that love of praise of men? then tell yourself, that's on Mount Ebal. 
I want to make a predetermined decision. I want to walk with my shepherd. I want to make decisions that make me feel more intimate, close. I don't want to have my conscience be bothered. I'm not going to be doing anything that makes me feel like I'm compromised, that somehow I'm being less faithful to him. I've already predetermined that going in. God, I will make decisions for you. Why? Because the God who's calling you to do so is your lover. He's your good father. And he will never let you down because he's 1,000% trustworthy. Amen? Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we confess, God, that there are many allurements of the world Actually, there's desires in my own heart. There are temptations all around. And yet, God, you've loved us so much. You've given us fair warning. You've given us vivid illustration, examples from the past, faithful individuals even from, the, from long ago who set an example for us, Lord, that, God, to trust anybody else is folly and destruction. But, God, to trust you, is to be secure in the powerful arms of the Father. And so I ask, God, that if anybody today is wavering, especially if we are stalling, help us, Father God, to make a firm decision in our hearts. Yes, I may have enemies. Yes, I may suffer, and definitely I may lose the world, but so be it. I've already made the decision to follow God. I've already made the decision, Lord, to be faithful to you and to do it your way. Your word has been so good and trustworthy. I want to do things by your scripture. And Lord, we also know that this is not something I can muster up by my own flesh. Give us conviction of spirit. Help us, Lord God, through the working of your Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our minds. That God, by faith, we would make strong decisions for you. We thank you, Lord. It's in Christ's name. Amen.